The Guardian. La peur aussi de de voir le désordre, le chaos. The fear that there is unrest and chaos is not well founded, because the Tunisian people have shown they can create a different order, a different way of seeing things. There is no disarray, no chaos, no fear. This is not the end. We are ready to wait with patience, and we are ready to have solidarity with each other. We'll go on until the total removal of the old regime. We don't have to have a total clean-up. Because the Tunisian youth now have a new perspective, a new way, a new foundation of a new state, a state based on human rights and democracy. Protesters on the streets of Tunis, proud of what the Jasmine Revolution has achieved so far, but fully aware that there is some way to go until true democracy is achieved. It's been a week since President Ben Ali jumped on a plane and fled the country he ruled with an iron grip for 23 years. But with an interim president, a member of the same discredited ruling party, is the Unity Government just a new name for the old regime? I'm Riaz Atbat, and in this week's Focus podcast, we'll be asking what the new political landscape will look like in Tunisia. We'll also discuss the possible knock-on effect in the rest of the region. First and foremost, we want a complete break from the past. Therefore, there should be a complete separation between the state and the RCD. I will do all I can and use all my powers so that our country recovers from this difficult situation, so that all legitimate hopes created by this noble uprising are realized, so that this revolution of freedom and dignity is realized, and that the will of the people is protected. Interim President Fouad Mabaza promising a complete break from the past there. But is it really? I'm joined by The Guardian's Middle East editor, Ian Black, Aisha Sabavala, deputy editor of the Economist Intelligence Unit, and from Tunisia by The Observer's foreign affairs editor, Peter Beaumont. Fouad Mabaza is part of a large presence of former leading party RCD in the coalition government. Ian, the people want change, but are they just getting more of the same? Well, the simple answer is it's, um, it's too early to say. The initial indications are that the ruling party, the RCD, as you say, is still very much there. Ben Ali has gone in those dramatic circumstances we saw last week. We know that there are a lot of people uh, saying that the party must be removed from its position of power. Some people are making comparisons with the Ba'ath Party in Iraq after the overthrow of Saddam Hussein. And I think that the drama that we're seeing played out now and over the coming days will be precisely over whether in this democratic transition to a new Tunisia, as many people hope, the uh, the old regime will either disappear completely or be so diluted into a new uh, system that it will be it will be neutered. But uh, that's absolutely the key question. What kind of Uh, change are we seeing? Ben Ali has gone. Uh, a significant part of the old is is no longer there. But what the new is remains to be negotiated. Peter, the United Nations has said that 117 people have been killed so far in the uprising. The protests against the RCD are continuing, but has the violence calmed down? 
Well, the, the violence has certainly calmed down. There's still a lot of police and army out on the streets. And uh, I mean, today's the first day of the three day, three national days of mourning. And it's been it's been pretty good natured. But I have to say that, you know, you, you go outside into to the main avenue in the city centre and there is still an awful lot of riot police uh, who are preventing demonstrators from getting to certain points. I mean, yesterday there were some shots fired in the air when, um, when people tried to get into the RCDO's headquarters. And it's not clear to people quite who the police are answering to and how. And, and certainly one of the issues is uh, where the, you know, the old ruling party still has you know, a number of the key ministries, you know, the, the interior ministry, the defense ministry, that, that worries people. Uh, and when I was outside the uh, cathedral uh, at the end of the main avenue a little while ago, I mean, there was a guy holding up a, holding up a piece of paper with, with written on it, don't steal our dreams, which, which is what people are very concerned about. But I, I think they're trying to give it some time to see how the process plays out. But I don't think they're going to let up. Now, some political prisoners, including the activist Hassan Ben Abdullah, were released on Wednesday. Aisha, do you think these are significant steps by the government to improve public opinion? Um, I think that the um, the steps taken recently in terms of the releasing these um, political activists and allowing exiled um, party members to come back into the country um, has appeased people to a certain extent. But as um, both Ian and Peter was, were saying earlier, I think that the crux of the situation is, unfortunately... The people, the Tunisian people, view the um, members of the old RCD regime as associated with Ben Ali and associated with the old system of corruption. So even though they have, you know, we've, we've seen that more, the, the members that are currently holding minister positions have resigned from the RCD, so effectively removing the name uh, from the from this um, new transitional government, um, but the the faces are still associated with Ben Ali, and they're associated with the old system of corruption that has brought Tunisia to the level it is today. And I think that unless uh, you know quite a lot of ground is given, or as um, Ian said, unless some of the 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 members of the old regime are completely eradicated from this new government, um, it's going to be hard for uh, the new government to to um, establish legitimacy um, in the eyes of the Tunisian people and get on with the businesses and tasks at hand. Um, can, I, can I come in on the political prisoners question? Yeah, of course it, you can, It's Peter. clear that most of the prisoners of conscience, i.e. people who are, who are put into jail for their opinions, have been released. But it does appear that there are still uh, a group of people uh, who were convicted under the anti-terrorism laws, uh, often after being tortured and in, in in, in cases of very dubious uh, judicial process who, who may still be being held. And people don't know quite how many people fall into that group. But no, not, it seems as though not everyone's been released so far. Peter, I'm going to stay with you. Um, the Democratic Forum for Freedom and Labour Party have withdrawn from the government and several trade union ministers have quit. Can this government be held together? I don't know. It's very difficult. I mean, the, the, the feelings are running very, very strongly against the, uh, against the inclusion of former RCD people. And literally every time you go out, it's the same question. And I, I was at Sidi Bouzid yesterday where 
the young man who burnt himself, who, who in a way was the inspiration for, for, for a lot of this revolution. And there were demonstrations there. And, it, it, you know, there is only one real demand. They don't want these people. And if the government is to hold together, then that pressure is going to come on. And I think they are going to have to uh, withdraw or substantially withdraw in the long run. I, and I think, you know, the RCD's position doesn't seem very tenable right now. Lots has been made of the role of the internet in sparking the Jasmine Revolution. There were WikiLeaks cables surrounding Ben Ali's quasi-mafia, and it's thought that Facebook played a role in spreading the news of the suicide of Mohamed Bouazizi, which sparked the protests. Aisha, is this an internet revolution, or should we not read too much into the role of social media? I don't think it's right to call it an internet revolution, Um, irrespective of whether Facebook or social networking sites or WikiLeaks um, had released, you know, those very unflattering... um, uh, you know, papers on uh, Ben Ali and his uh, family and his wife's family, irrespective of all that, this, 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 uh, pro- these protests that have come about are simply because the people were fed up with being, you know, given lies, fed up with being uh, given promises that were not met with the low standards of living, the high levels of unemployment. And uh, so I think it's fair to, what would be fair to say is that social networking sites such as Facebook and Twitter, mobile phones, have, what they've done is they have uh, enabled the protests to um, circumvent the normal internet blackout and the media restrictions that used to be implemented by Ben Ali and uh, and the RCD, uh, you know, during these sorts of events. So what the social networking uh, element has done is it's played a very important role in prolonging the protests and also in spreading the protests to the rest of Tunisia and getting a, a fairly accurate picture of what's happening in the ground on the ground in Tunisia to the people outside Tunisia. But to call it an internet revolution probably, you know, puts too much emphasis, I think, on the aspects of social networking. But people sometimes tend to forget that the, the revolution, uh, revolution, if you can call it that, happened for a very simple reason. is because that the, the, the people, you know, had had it with the current government. With a chance for a fresh start in Tunisian politics, it's expected that parties such as the Islamic Renaissance Movement, the Congress Party for the Republic and the Communist Workers' Party will return from exile. Ian, what would be the Western reaction to an Islamic movement gaining power? I have to say that I don't think that that's going to happen. Um, one of the most striking things about what's been happening in Tunisia, particularly as the, as the drama peaked um, last week with Ben Ali's departure, was that no role was played at all. Certainly no visible role was played by uh, an Islamist group at all. It's one of the most striking things precisely because for many years the Tunisian regime, like other Arab regimes, has presented presented itself as a, a bulwark against the Islamist danger, the green peril, if you like, uh, as some people call it. Um, the fact that the Islamists played no role in this, I think to some extent will uh, force, should force Western governments to rethink their policies of supporting some of these uh, regimes. If the Islamist bogeyman turns out to be a figment of the imagination or a wild exaggeration, uh, then uh, governments, Britain, France, the US and so on, uh, should be looking again at their largely uncritical support for uh, some of these uh, some of these governments. Uh, there is a, a Tunisian Islamist movement. Its leader lives in exile in London, 
uh, Rashid al-Ghanoushi, who has said he's going to go back to Tunisia. Uh, and, uh, of course, his movement, the Anahda movement, the Renaissance uh, movement, as it's called in, uh, in Arabic, has said that it uh, accepts uh, democracy, uh, it accepts the very, very advanced status relative to elsewhere in the Arab world of women in Tunisia, and would play its part in the construction of a, you know, a new Tunisian political order. Now, that's a very, very mild sort of agenda, certainly a very long way away from the, the sometimes almost demonic image of the dangers post, uh, posed by, uh, by Islamists. So it's a very important question. But what we've seen so far suggests that that isn't going to happen. The Anahda movement in Tunisia was essentially wiped out by a combination of arrests, uh, torture, imprisonment, and exile. It's not been a player uh, in recent years. People will want to see what happens now. Aisha, the former colonial ruler of France was incredibly supportive of Ben Ali right till the bitter end. What do you think the new role will be for France in Tunisia? Um, I think, uh, I think yes, France has been criticised quite a lot for uh, sort of uh, falling asleep, if you like, while the while the um, the protests were going on, because they were they really, unlike the United States and the European Union, uh, failed to condemn the way that the protests were handling handled in terms of the excessive use of force by um, Ben Ali security forces. And of course, till the 11th hour, they continued to sort of support Ben Ali right until the moment when he was forced to flee. And as we know, you know, finally, in, in, in some sort of wake up call, France refused to allow him entry into into the country when he left Tunisia and um, of course now has also frozen the assets um, belonging to Ben Ali's family but I think now France is going to have to uh, you know abandon this or sort of at least um, step back and have have a re-look at its support for uh, for uh, uh, oppressive and autocratic regimes, not just in Tunisia, but in some of the other former colonies as well. Uh, take a step back, have a look and rethink its strategy of supporting these governments in, in exchange for the, the excuse of the rise of Islamism and the, and the rise of extremism. And I think they will have to play a key role in general in ensuring that the elections that are to, uh, to happen in the next couple of months um, will be will indeed be fair and democratic. I think it's in France and the EU and, and really the international communities um, benefit to, to make sure that uh, Tunisia's economy is stabilized and the violence is stopped uh, you know as soon as possible and some sort of democratic process is put in place so that the chaos, the ensuing chaos at the moment is you know is in, in people outside uh, such as the Al Qaeda and all don't take advantage of the uh, chaos in the country to establish a strong presence in Tunisia. But if I, c if I can come in and just to, to follow up on that point, I mean, it's true that the French record has been particularly bad. Uh, ben Ali was a, was a, a regular and uh, honoured visitor to France, as his family was, the extensive property. It was significant, of course, that he wasn't allowed to take refuge at the last moment. But the what happened was that particularly with the EU, with its... Uh, uh, attempts to build bridges across to the Maghreb, to North Africa, uh, the, the French and the Italians too, would regularly for many years block any attempt 
inside the EU, for example, to make aid to Tunisia uh, conditional on, on human rights and political freedoms. So the, the, the change in the French position should really unlock the uh, paralysis in the EU in terms of really doing something to uh, promote not only uh, uh, you know, uh, economic uh, uh, improvements and uh, free trade access between Tunis and elsewhere in the Maghreb and Europe, but also to promote, finally, a proper uh, uh, human rights agenda that comes far closer to European standards. Other countries in the Maghreb region of North Africa have been watching the situation in Tunisia closely. Corruption, unemployment and rising food prices are all a feature of these states. But could what happened in Tunisia happen elsewhere? Peter, do you sense that there could be a knock-on effect? Is this what Tunisians are thinking or even hoping? Um, I don't know. I mean, I was talking to um, Mohamed Bouazizi's uh, mother and family yesterday in the city Bouzid, where, in a way, all this started. And, I mean, you know, she's a poor and fairly simple Tunisian who works in the fields. And, I mean, I think there is a consciousness amongst Tunisians that the Arab world is watching them. I mean, she saw her son as, she's not very political, but she saw her son as, as having given something to, to the wider Arab world and to the wider region. And I think, I think there's a self-consciousness about that. But, but whether they want anything else to happen elsewhere, I mean, that's a different question. Ian, do you think this could be the biggest threat to Hosni Mubarak's 30-year rule in Egypt? I, I think that the country uh, that is most alarmed by what's been happening in Tunisia is probably Egypt, uh, for the simple reason that Egypt is the most populous of all the Arab countries. It's got a population of now of over 80 million. A lot of the problems that we've seen in Tunisia uh, exist in Egypt on a far larger scale, um, whether it's an autocratic and uh, government that's perceived to be corrupt, whether it's the scourge of youth and particularly of graduate unemployment, uh, the gap between rich and poor. And Tunisia, of course, is in many ways much better off than Egypt. Uh, it's a wealthier country. Uh, uh, the difference is, of course, that Egypt, uh, in Egypt, the, there is a sense, I think, that the regime is pretty firmly in control. The army, uh, the security forces uh, have had a lot of experience at dealing with unrest. They're pretty good at it. They're they manage to be repressive while not losing control. Uh, the President Mubarak in Egypt, is, who is the third president since Egypt became independent, is also a military man. They all have been, from uh, Nasser through Sadat to Mubarak today. So the role of the army in Egypt is, is very powerful still. Uh, the issues, of course, of uh, uh, the succession to the presidency. Mubarak is 82. He has no designated successor. There's been speculation for several years now about whether his own son, Gamal Mubarak, will succeed him, or perhaps more likely a figure from the armed forces. Um, so there are a lot of things in common, but there are differences in terms of the, I think, the repressive uh, abilities of the state and, of course, the size of the country. There's another factor too, I would say, with Egypt that you would need to take into account in making comparisons is that Egypt enjoys massive support from the United States, particularly because Egypt uh, has its peace treaty with Israel. It's very much part of a, a regional strategic picture. Tunisia is much smaller, much less important in that respect. 
So uh, Egypt, you can make comparisons with Egypt and indeed with other countries, with Algeria as well, of course, next door to Tunisia. Uh, but uh, there are individual specific factors in each country that make it hard to replicate exactly what happened, though, of course, you can point, particularly at the socioeconomic level, to a lot of things in common. Aisha, Ian just spoke about Algeria. Um, that's another country on the verge of change. There have been demonstrations against high food prices. But do you think there's enough of a unified opposition to the ruling party? I think the, uh, uh, you know, the, the uh, coalition, uh, but Bouteflika's uh, coalition, I think in Algeria as well, the army plays quite a significant role in the sense that uh, it was the army that basically brought about the... Um, the independence from the from the French, whereas in Tunisia, the army doesn't really have that legitimacy. It's it's gained support on the ground now because there's a, some sort of division between the army, which is more trusted by the Tunisian people, and Ben Ali's um, corrupt security forces or police forces. Um, but I think, uh, as Ian rightly pointed out, it's very very. Um, premature to say that what is uh, what has happened in Tunisia will um, will be replicated in other countries so the risk say for example of protests in countries that share the same characteristics as Tunisia does um, namely aging leaders and um, you know high unemployment and high youth un unemployment oppressive regimes the the risk of protests developing in these countries such as Algeria Egypt Libya for example Jordan Morocco are quite high but that doesn't mean that the protests are going to bring about the same results these um these leaders are, uh, have been watching the situation closely for, for since the, the protests developed. And also, they're not just going to stand by and let um, a similar sort of situation develop. If in, in the example of Libya, for example, we've already seen um, the leader, Muammar Gaddafi, um, actually uh, supporting Ben Ali and actually calling for him to, to come back. So I, I suspect a lot of these leaders are going to use the excuse of the post uh, for of the post uh, Ali departure situation in Tunisia, the violence and uh, the loss of lives to justify why they should continue to remain in in power and I suspect what will happen is that on the on the one hand they will um, you know definitely uh, extend subsidies for example and delay tax rises and uh, you know give social security payments to appease the public but you can be absolutely sure that at the very same time they have beefed up their security forces and they have beefed up their um, military presence to ensure that this sort of thing is not repeated in in their country. So uh, it would be, yes, I think it would be very difficult to say that um, Algeria or any other country would face exactly the same circumstances that have taken place in Tunisia. That's all for this week's Focus podcast. My thanks to Ian Black, Peter Beaumont and Aisha Sabavala. I'm Riazat Butt and the producer was Peter Sale. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.